Hello, and thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Minister John Richard, and this podcast is an account of this week's Bible study. I pray that it blesses and strengthens you in Jesus' name. If you are looking for more of the Word or are searching for the notes that were used in this week's lesson, please feel free to check the links in the description. Enjoy the Bible study and be blessed. Amen and amen. I want to one, thank the Lord for tonight, and two, I want to thank my mom for always being ready and available. I really do appreciate it. Prayer makes the world go around. But so this week, oh Lord, um, hmm. <laughs> oh my, um, this week, I I don't have words for it. Not because this week was really difficult in terms of getting through it mentally, spiritually, or emotionally, but in terms of the message that the Lord placed on my heart, it's one of those messages that really just hit home. And it's like, oh, okay. Um, I need to take a step back and really look at things. So our topic for this week is, so you want a king, and before we really get into that subject, let's go ahead and look at our, our definition for this week. I will go ahead and put it on screen for you all. All right. So our definition for this week is called Basilia, which means kingdom, sovereignty, or royal power. And its usage, as you can see, it has kingship, sovereignty, authority, rule, especially of God, and so on and so forth. Now, the definition, as we look into it, it comes from the word basileus, which means king, properly kingdom, the realm in which a king sovereignly rules. A kingdom, or uh, basilea, always requires a king, as the kingdom of God does with King Jesus, especially refers to the rule of Christ in believers' hearts, which is a rule that one day will be universal on the physical earth in the millennium, which will be the millennial reign, as Revelation tells us about. So why is that important for us? You may be asking yourself, well, if anyone is familiar with uh, who the artist Sade is, then they've probably heard her song, Your Love is King. Uh, if you haven't, I'm not telling you to listen to it. That's on you. But if you have, she says that your love is king. It's the ruler of my heart. Our definition is telling us that Jesus is supposed to be the ruler of your heart. He's supposed to have sovereignty in that area. So when the question is posed, so you want a king, God is asking you who's in charge of your heart? Who or what have you given the place that so rightfully belongs to the Lord himself? Not only did he create you, but he also took time out of his schedule. And that's a, a joke. But he took the time out to look out at this dying world to say that, you know what, they need saving. And instead of making one of us do it because we can't, that's another joke. The fact is that God gave his one and only son who didn't do a single thing wrong, who was God himself because they are one. And he sent him down in a body like yours and mine to take all of our transgressions, all of our iniquities, all of our sins, all the mistakes that we would make, all the sicknesses, all the wicked and nasty thoughts, all the things that we do wrong. And he took that upon himself within his body. He was beaten, tarnished, spit, mocked, cursed out, the whole nine yards. And all of that was done. And the, the cherry on top was him being hung on a cross further punished for you and for me. And when everything was said and done, he looked up to the father, gave thanks, said it is finished. And here we are. We have a family. We have a true home to go to. So with that backstory being said, and if you've been following the ministry, if you've been on this journey with us, then you've heard a lot 
of this story before. So we'll go ahead and we'll start off with our scripture in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. Now I'll put that on screen. All right, so starting in 1 Samuel chapter 8, the Bible says, As Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons to be judges over Israel. Joel and Abiha, if I'm saying that wrong, please forgive me, his oldest sons held court in Beersheba. But they were not like their father, for they were greedy for money. They accepted bribes and perverted justice. Finally, all the elders of Israel met at Ramah, to discuss the matter with Samuel. Look, they told him, you are now old and your sons are not like you. Give us a king to judge us like all the other nations have. Samuel was displeased with their request and went to the Lord for guidance. Do everything they say to you, the Lord replied, for they are rejecting me, not you. They don't want me to be their king any longer. Ever since I brought them from Egypt, they have continually abandoned me and followed other gods. And now they are giving you the same treatment. Now, therefore, heed their voice. However, you shall solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. One thing out of a multitude of things that I truly and thoroughly love about our Heavenly Father is the fact that he always gives you a warning before things start to hit the proverbial fan. The children of Israel had been in bondage. They had been slaves. They had been beaten. They had been forced into labor. They were held hostage at some point because they kept just scuttling away from the Lord. They kept wanting other things that wasn't what God had intended for them. And the thing that he had intended for them and this entire human race of ours was to be our God, to be our father, to love us, to bless us, to just give us cool things. Like I I can't think of a, a single good parent according to our standards that would want to do their child wrong. And as Jesus himself said, if we earthly parents or if you earthly parents know how to give your child a good gift, then how much more so will your heavenly father know how to bless you accordingly? They didn't want God because they rejected the person God gave them. They wanted to be like everyone else. And how much do we hear that in social media and the news in politics and everything else. We all want to be like each other, but no one wants to be how we were intended to be. If you've been with us before in Bible study, then you'll know where I'm going with this. If you haven't, then let me tell you, we were created for one simple purpose, to worship God. That's that's our purpose for being here. If you need that age old uh, answer to why are we here, then that's it. There's biblical proof. There's proof in why we're here. There's proof in this message. We'll get to it. But the point is, is that, as I've said, going into this year, especially with what God has given this ministry's mission for this year, it's that he's showing us and we need to be paying attention. He's talking to us and we need to be able to listen to him, not hear him, and let it go in one ear and go out the other. But we need to listen to him. We need to take into account what it is the creator of everything is telling us and how beneficial it is for us moving forward. We can't do that if God doesn't have the top spot in our life. Jesus literally died for us. It's in the Bible. It's in the history books. It's it's relevant because the blood still works. It never stopped working. God had a plan and he set it in motion before we ever messed up because he knew we would. And the dope part about God, even though his people are blatantly saying, look, we don't want him anymore. We want we want to be like them. We're tired of trying to do the right thing. We just want to live our life. We want to live our best life according to current standards. Well, that's not what life is about. Your best life is literally wrapped up inside of Jesus. We talked about it last week, that your true life, your true identity is concealed inside of who Jesus is. 
And because Jesus is the way, the truth, the life and light of this world, your best life without Jesus is just pretty deft. It's uh, some bedazzled trash, uh, so to say. If you take your garbage out of your kitchen right now and put rhinestones on it and you don't have Jesus, then that's your best life. And if you don't believe me, uh, I wouldn't encourage it, but keep doing the same old thing. It won't profit you anything. But the, the message of the ministry for any of us who come before the people and proclaim the gospel, which is the good news of who Jesus is, it's to warn you in love that, look, there's a better way. I know you're depressed. I know people hurt you. I know you're sad. I know you're angry, but you don't have to be. I know you think that money will be your end all be all, but the Bible itself says that it's the love of money that's the root of all evil because then people will do anything for it. I like money because I know it can solve my problems, but I don't worship it. Money can't buy me happiness. I've been broke and depressed. I've had money and been depressed. But the thing is, I've had Jesus and I've been happy if I didn't have money. I have Jesus. I've been happy with money. You see, you see where I'm going with this? When your priority straight and the one who sits on the throne of your heart isn't money, it isn't technology, it isn't you, it's not your kids, it's not your spouse, it's not the drugs, it's not the alcohol, it's not the sex, it's not the whatever it is you're trying to fill that hole inside of you with. When it's Jesus, then you start to really see and live out life for what it is. But you need to have the proper king in that throne. Proverbs chapter one, verses 20 through 25 and Psalms chapter 14, verses one through four. The Bible says wisdom shouts in the streets. She cries out in the public square. She calls to the crowds along the main street to those gathered in front of the city gates. How long, you simpletons, will you insist on being simple-minded? Or as the King James says, how long will you enjoy simplicity? How long will you mockers relish your mocking? How long will you fools hate knowledge? Come and listen to my counsel. I'll share my heart with you and make you wise. I called you so often, but you wouldn't come. I reached out to you, but you paid no attention. You ignored my advice and rejected the correction I offered. And then in Psalms chapter 14, it says only fools say in their hearts, there is no God. They are corrupt and their actions are evil. Not one of them does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the entire human race. He looks to see if anyone is truly wise, if anyone seeks God. But no, all have turned away. All have become corrupt. No one does good, not a single one. Will those who do evil never learn? They eat up my people like bread and wouldn't think of praying to the Lord. Now, if you keep reading uh, past verse four in Psalms chapter 14, you'll see that the Lord himself declares that he is the protector of all of his people. Well, you may be asking yourself, didn't the Bible just say that none of us are good? The answer is yes. None of us are good. Not a single one, present self included. But when you hear the gospel, and I looked this up earlier, and it, it, it just thank you, Jesus, because it's so relevant to this message. The gospel is literally, the word gospel is literally only used in reference to Jesus. It means that it is an absolute truth that cannot be refuted because it's just true. It's also a, a statute of, of laws and other things. But the purpose is when we look at other religions, when we look at philosophies, when we look at whatever it is people try to use to, to trick or trap, none of it's referred to as the gospel. Why is that? Well, according to the definition, it's not absolutely true meaning it's fundamentally flawed. Why am I bringing this up? Well, you want a king, right? 
we all do this that's how this world revolves we're used to someone being in governing power over us even if you say well i don't want to be governed that means you're governing yourself so you become your own king or your own dictatorship and as someone who's done that before i hurt myself i've run into the wall i've hit my head i've cut myself i've bruised myself i've shot myself in the foot i've done a number of things to myself that weren't pretty and that I wouldn't have personally wanted to happen. But because I was trying to run the show, you see the results. I share my testimony with you guys all the time. It's not fun when you do it your way, but when you do it Jesus's way, things start to change. Jesus is saying in the guise of wisdom in the book of Proverbs, it's that He's been saying the same thing since we've left the Garden of Eden. Repent. Come on. I'm making it simple. Just let me show you that you messed up. And I promise you, I won't hold it against you because my word says I will remove your sins from you as far as the east is to the west. I would also throw them into a sea of forgetfulness. I would remember them no more. I wipe the slate clean and I'll make you a new creature. I really don't mean any harm. I just want you to see that you're going to keep hurting yourself if you don't walk this road with me. Because the other road, it's the crab mentality. It's Satan saying, hey, look, you don't need all that. And I have props that I'm going to show you guys later once we get a little further into the message that really show what I'm conveying to you. But Jesus is saying, I give you chance and chance. I keep making it clearer and clearer as time goes on. But why won't you just listen to me? I'm not trying to force feed you anything like social media or the news does when it comes to norms and status quos. I'm not trying to make you do something that you know to the bottom of your core. It's morally and ethically wrong. But what I'm trying to do is show you that, look, they don't mean you any good. Not mama, not daddy, not your brother, not your sister, not friends, not spouse. No one really does. But unless they have me in their life, they can't do anything truly good for you. Now, I know that sounds harsh, but when you think about it, it's the truth. Best friends who have been friends for 20, 30, 40 years will just fall out out of nothing over the tiniest thing because there was no true love there the relationship had reached its end for its benefit well its benefits for both parties and when that happens you want to disconnect because now you can't gain anything but see the way the law of love works this relationship we have with jesus even though we messed up as the bible says even though we're all corrupt god loves us so much that he made a way out of no way and I know I'm getting ahead of myself, but it's important for us to remember that God really, truly and thoroughly loves us so much so that even though we still make mistakes after salvation, he doesn't give up on us. We can't give anything to God because everything that there is in this world belongs to him. The money, the land, the wealth, it, it all belongs to him. The knowledge, we get that from him. But because he loves us, because he cares about us and he, because he shows true love and true passion for his children. He keeps reminding us, look, if I'm not your king yet, I want to be. It's not my will that any of you should perish, but that all of you would be saved. I know the world looks fun and it looks tempting and going out and partying and and having sex with any and everybody and drinking and drugs and and being caught up in the wrong thing that looks fun. I know it seems right, but I promise you at the end of the day, you're going to be sad, depressed, confused, lonely. You're going to be a multitude of things that I never intended to happen for you. But because I gave you the ability to make choices just like I do, you have a choice to make take my way. And I'm really getting ahead of myself, but I hear you, Lord. Take my way where there's peace, love, and rest. Or stay on that path that keeps going down into the descent until where you don't even recognize yourself anymore. And the you that you see is a you that you could never comprehend because that's not who you're supposed to be. 
God help us. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verses one through four and 12 through 15. The Bible says, I hope you will put up with a little more of my foolishness. Please bear with me, for I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. But I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted, just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. Now in the King James toward the end, it says the simplicity of the gospel of Christ. Now, in verse four, it continues saying, you happily put up with whatever anyone tells you, even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach or a different kind of spirit than the one you received or a different kind of gospel. Ooh, we just talked about that. than the one you believed. But I will continue doing what I have always done. This will undercut those who are looking for an opportunity to boast about their work that their work is just like ours. These people are false apostles. They are deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, since Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. So it is no great surprise if his servants also masquerade as uh, servants of righteousness, but their end will correspond with their deeds. Now, again, if you've been with us in the past couple of months, you'll know that the wages of sin has consequences to it, that consequence being death. All consequences have a, a proper reward for them. If we keep doing wrong, well, there's punishment. But if we're striving to do right, and not by our strength, because we don't have any, but by the strength that the Lord imbues us with, then we can actually do real good because we're not doing it to serve an ulterior motive. I'm not helping someone so I can cash in a favor later. I'm helping them simply because they need it. And it is the right loving thing to do. When you help other people, it's great to help your friends and family. It's cool. I, I, I would definitely recommend it. But don't always help those that can repay you back. Jesus himself said it. When you do unto others, sometimes it's really nice that they can't pay you back because it shows them, hey, look, I can't give you anything. I know that's not my purpose. I'm helping you because you need it. Jesus knew that there was nothing we could ever give back unto him. And it's like, Lord, what can I give you? Nothing. I helped you because you needed it. All I want from you now is to take what I've given you, which is my love, my power and my Holy Spirit which has imbued you to become a new creature by the renewing of your mind, which is the current battlefield of this world. And thanks to technology, as great as it is, because that's how we're here to, to get together today, it's, oh, it's just so gross at times. But because God is good, and because God will always be good, and he is still yet to show himself, as the Bible says, we can take what we've been given and we can truly help and encourage the body of faith. We can help people who don't know God get to know him, the real God. I'm not talking about Allah. I'm not talking about Buddha, Vishnu, uh, whatever you may want to call him. I'm talking about Jesus, the name above every name, the one to whom the only name that men should be saved by, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess on the earth, above it, below it, and in all creation, that Jesus Christ is Lord. It didn't say nothing about Muhammad or anyone else. And if you think I'm picking on someone, I'm not. I'm trying to set the record straight that literally in, what is this, Second Corinthians, that it says that people will try and teach you of a different gospel, but according to the definition of gospel, it has to be the absolute truth, which is Jesus, because he is the way, the truth and the light and light of this world, meaning there is no other God. He said it several times. Human understanding, being able to read a Webster Dictionary definition will help you understand that, well, that means they're not right. But because of free will, because of choice, God is like, okay, you've made your choice. That's fine. I'll pencil you down right here. Now, because God is also so good, he gives us 
chances to get it right. You may grow up in the wrong household or situation, but that doesn't mean that you can't get saved and truly be baptized in the fiery presence of the Holy Spirit so you can help other people escape the road of damnation. Hell is real. But because we're not a fire and brimstone ministry here, I'm not going to try and scare you into it in the way that a lot of fire and brimstone people do. No, I want you to be aware. I want to give you the facts so that you can make an honest decision for yourself. That either you go God's way and accept who Jesus is because he really loves you and wants you to get it too, Or you keep hanging out with the world. It looks fun now, but once your money's gone, you know how the cliche is gone. I was all alone once all my money was gone. And yeah, that's going to happen. Once time is up on your clock, where's the world then to bail you out? But Jesus, who is a present help at all times, will be there every step of the way to get you out of whatever it is. And before we move over to the next scripture, in correspondence to 2 Corinthians 11, Colossians chapter 2 verses 8 through 10 talks about high sounding nonsense and empty philosophies that come from spiritual reasoning of this world instead of from Christ Jesus. Don't be tricked by people. The power of you, what power? We don't have any. Jesus himself says, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman or the vine dresser. So apart from me, you can't do anything. Where's the power? We don't have a source without Jesus. I want to let you guys know, not only does he want to be your king, but he's striving. He's showing you every step of the way. There is some stuff you may have almost gone through that you didn't because God is protecting you, even though you aren't his just yet. There are some situations in your life that God may have allowed so that when you hear the gospel, which is the truth about who God is, because it's the testimony of Jesus, the Christ, our Lord and Savior, our risen King. When you hear it, it activates that measure of faith that the Bible talks about that we're all coming here with. Even though we're born in sin and shaped in iniquity, God was like, but because I'm God and because I love them and I died for them on that cross. You have this. And when you hear my message, it goes in just like the Bible says, it's pressed down and it will open up. And then I can start pouring into you whatever it is that you need. And when that happens, what can Satan do? Nothing. Remember, he's just a dog on a leash that's waiting on orders. Moving forward, Matthew chapter 23 verses 37 through 39 and Matthew chapter 13 verses 53 through 58. The Bible says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers, how often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. And now, look, your house is abandoned and desolate. For I tell you this, you will never see me again until you say blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Then in Matthew chapter 13, the Bible says, when Jesus had finished telling these stories and illustrations, he left that part of the country. He returned to Nazareth, his hometown, when he taught there in the synagogue, everyone was amazed and said, where does he get this wisdom and the power to do miracles? Then they scoffed. He's just the carpenter's son. And we know Mary, his mother and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon and Judas. All his sisters live right here among us. Where did he learn all these things? And they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his own family. And so he did only a few miracles there because of their unbelief. Now, this one hit home in a different way for me, I'll say. We know that originally we were created with the intent to be God's children. We were created with the purpose of being his family, but we messed up. We sold ourselves out. And in doing so, we no longer had that connection with God that we came here with. Originally, it was God and us just like that. 
But then we let sin creep in and it pushed us so, so far away to where it was like, Father, you're way over there. But he's like, I'm I don't know what to say. You you did this to us. I'm going to fix it. But until the time comes, there's nothing I can do for you right now. The best I can do is that anyone who really wants to come back to me, I can show you how to get there. And so we've had our we've had our judges, we've had our our kings, we've had the prophets that all came before the promised seed, which is Jesus. And before all of that, all these people were good to a degree, but because they were human, they were valuable. They had issues. They had mistakes. They couldn't do what Jesus was going to do for us. And that was to give one sacrifice for all time so that we wouldn't have to keep sacrificing things. Because what happens when you keep giving something? It's like a bill. You're reminded every month when you have to pay that you still have a debt that's owed. But see, with Jesus, the bill was paid and it was paid off just like when you own a car, except we're going to remove the licensing fees and everything else that goes with owning a car. It's just yours now. Like this comb, it's my comb. I don't owe anything on it. The same thing with life in Christ. When you accept what Jesus did for you, you are now given a new life, given actual life because you were once dead, but now you are found. Though you were blind, now you can really see. When that happens, (laughs) oh my goodness. But what Jesus is telling us is that we didn't want that. And as we know, there's no good thing in us that can choose him. He has to choose us. That faith has to be activated in such a peculiar way to where we can truly understand God's love for us. In John chapter 1, verses 9 through 12, it says that the light was getting ready to come into the world. But when he came here, the world didn't receive him because they didn't know him. Why? Because of sin, because we were so far apart. And then it says that he went to his own people and they didn't even receive him. Why is that? Well, originally, all of us were supposed to be his people. But sin led us astray. And it was our choice to let it. So we can't blame our problems on God because we make the choices. But what the Lord wants us to know today is that this world, these things, these people, these whatever it is that is trying to run your life does not have to be your king. Yeah, you want a king. You don't have to lie to yourself because you sure can't lie to God. You want someone in charge. And if it's you, I feel real bad for you because I try that and it's not fun. But if you would choose the righteous king, the, the prince of peace, the king of kings, the, the heavenly father, the wise counselor, the one who really cares about you, then I promise you things will change. You don't stay in the stronghold once the strong one comes in and breaks it open and shatters the wall and shows you that, look, I didn't just give you one way out. I gave you every way out because I am the God of all. We go to. Romans chapter 1 verses 18 through 23 and Romans chapter 5 verses 6 through 11. This is where things really take a turning point for us now. The Bible says, but God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. He didn't keep it hidden. He made it plain. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused or their hearts became darkened or they became depraved. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. But if we jump to Romans chapter five, the Bible says, 
while when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God, there's our but God for this lesson. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Now, this part is where we pull out our cross. <clears throat> Give me one second. If you look here, I have a piece of paper and it says worldly faith. Now, I know it may be turned around because of the camera, but it says worldly faith, right? What happens <clears throat> when you start to pour water on paper? It gets wet. It loses its strength. It tears itself up. What happens if I try to push paper in? It crumples up. It gets balled up. And now it's worthless because I can't do anything with it. Well, that's faith in the world. That's faith in other people when you don't have Jesus on your side. That's putting your faith and your determination in the resource instead of the source. Now, God, on the other hand, it's like this iron rod. When your faith, when your relationship with the Lord is trying to be tested because the enemy doesn't want you to overcome, he may try to bend it, but he can't do anything to it. This is a real iron pipe, by the way, if you heard that. I can't do anything to this pipe because I'm not strong enough. Satan cannot do anything to the power of God because he's not strong enough. He has no strength. So if Jesus who is the rod breaker of the oppressor, as the book of Isaiah says, I believe. If he's the rod breaker of the oppressor in your life, then your faith, your determination in God, your hope, your utterances that things will change because of who Jesus is, then nothing can deter it because no one, not a single thing in this world can separate us from the love of God and his strength, which is infallible. The one whose hands that we are just faithfully and lovingly held inside. No one can take anything out of God's hands because there is no one who's stronger than him. And I thank God for that because of this new relationship. Though at one point in my life, I wanted someone other than God as the head. Whether it was me, whether it was whoever it was, I was trying to become all close with whether it was my, my video games or, or people or, or porn or sex or whatever it was, if it wasn't God, it wasn't going to help me. So I'm telling you today, out of all the love that God has blessed me with, that nothing this world offers, not even the people of it, can really do anything for you. But God, who loves us so dearly, will send other family members to provide for you. And that provision doesn't come from them, but it comes from the source, who is your father, who is your king, who is your savior, who wants to be your everything and fulfill every need, every want, every desire. He's all that you could ask for and more. And he wants to do that for you today. All you have to do is let him. Now, this part right here is in conjunction to, to our rod-based faith, the one that can't be bent. Let me tell you what Jesus is saying for us. Now, you're going to have to stick with me. We're in the book of John only, but we're going to go from chapter 6, verse 35 to, to chapter 8, verse 12, to chapter 10, verse 9, to 10, 11 to 11, 25, 14, 6, 15, 1. And then we're going to come back to eight for a very special purpose. I'll put that on screen for you guys. Jesus is saying, 
Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And, uh, Chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Or as the King James says, you will have the light of life. In chapter 10, verse 9, Jesus says, I am the door or I am the gate in the newer translations. Anyone who enters through me will be saved and will live forever and will go in and out freely and find pasture or spiritual security. In chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. In 1125, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. In 146, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. In 15.1, Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. And then back in 8, verse 58, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. These are the eight I am statements of the book of John. Why is that important? Jesus is letting you know today that, look, if he's not your king, he is everything that you could ever need. He's your food when you're hungry, your water when you're thirsty. If you're afraid that this body one day is going to die because it will, you have spiritual security because he's the door. He's the gateway to the street called straight. He is the street called straight. Straight and narrow is the pathway to heaven and he's the pathway. He's the way, the truth, the life. He's the good shepherd. He gave his life for you and for me. He did all of these things before life came into being. So that when we got here, when he pressed play after the events of eternity passed, were walked out, we made our choices. That's why we have deja vu. But we'll talk about those things on a later date. When we see who Jesus is truly for ourselves, not with our eyes, but with our hearts, when we understand who God is, not with our minds, but with the mind of our spirit, when we start to experience God's presence, not with this body, but in the spiritual, because we are spiritual creatures living out a, a physical life. We may think it's the other way around, but it's not. We are spiritual creatures. This body is like a car and your spirit is the driver. And you need a guide if you're going to go through the wilderness. If you try to drive somewhere you've never been, you will get lost 100% of the time without help. You cannot go to heaven if you don't have Jesus because we don't have a map to it. But Jesus is saying, I'm the map. I'm the one that'll get you there. I'm the guide in the wilderness. And when you get thirsty on your way there, I got you covered. I got water. When you get a little hungry because you've walked too much, I got the food. When you do everything that I ask you to do, don't worry. I've got gifts for you because I said in my word that I will pay back the deeds and hearts of all men, meaning that whatever you do in this life, I got your reward. If you loved me and followed me, great. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Come on in. The chicken's on the table. I got everything else you want to. But if you didn't, if you were like the servant who had the one talent or the one piece of gold, if we put it in modern translation, and you bury that little ounce of, of faith that we come here with, then it's like, well, nah, what you doing? I didn't, I didn't ask you to do this. I told you to come and learn of me and we're going to get there next Brothers and sisters, I, I can't make it plain enough how important Jesus is to life because he is life. And if we don't have him, if someone else is our king, then what are we looking forward to? <laughs> the Bible says that if those of us who believe in the Lord, whose name is Jesus, if we're wrong about this, then we're the most duped and crazy people out there. But because it's the gospel, it is the unfallible, unmerited. It is the, the truth that just can't be proven wrong because God himself is truth. We're good to go. 
And I want to make sure everyone else is good to go. That's the purpose of being a disciple. That's the purpose of being a good child. You want to share what daddy gave you with other people because you have an abundance. Well, there's an abundance of love in the family. And I know a lot of people like to give Christianity a bad name, but a lot of people are Christians only by name alone. You will know people by the fruit of their tree or by their actions because a good person cannot produce bad fruit and a bad person cannot produce good fruit. They may speak a good game, but they cannot walk the walk because the walk can only be walked by the only one who's ever walked it out 100%. And his name is Jesus. And if he's not inside of you, then you can't walk it either. I'm not saying we'll be perfect once we get with God, but what we can do is be better than we were yesterday. A feist to say that if we stay in the world, we'll only get worse and worse. So to wrap it up in Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through 30, at that time, Jesus prayed this prayer. And let me put it on screen. At this time, Jesus prayed this prayer. Oh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike or to the babes, as the King James says. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. My father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the son except the father. And no one truly knows the father except the son and those to whom the son chooses to reveal him. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. We all know because we've all been there, and if you aren't saved yet, you're probably feeling it right now, that everything bad you've done feels really heavy. Your shoulders may hurt, your back may hurt, something on you may not be working right, you can't sleep well at night. And if you do, well, God have mercy on you. But the point is, it's that, Jesus wants to remove all of that off of you. He wants to give you a bath, just like a parent wants to bathe their toddler because they got food all over themselves. Well, we're covered in dirt until we get with Jesus, until the king of our heart is Jesus the Christ, the risen king, the one true God. Then we're dirty and we're messed up and we stink and we only get dirtier and start stinking more until all the little grubby maggots start to form on us and start to eat away. But God wants to prevent that. He doesn't want us to walk around with rigor mortis, continuing to be walking zombies, just here looking good on the outside, but dead and stinky on the inside. No, he wants us to be as alive as we are spiritually, as alive as this body may look but even more so because true life is wrapped up inside of Jesus. So if you don't know Jesus today, please. Matthew 11 is saying, come on. I know you're tired. I know you're hungry. I know you're thirsty. You're sad. You're depressed. You're anxious. You're angry. You can't forgive the past. You're caught up on drugs, alcohol, sex. Mama and daddy left you. Daddy left. Mama left. People abuse you. They curse you out. They treat you wrong every single day. But if you come to me, not only will I give you rest, but I'll give you peace, something this world can't give. I'll give you joy, something this world can only give for about five hot seconds. But the joy and peace God gives cannot be taken away because the world didn't give it to us. Heavenly Father, we come before you in prayer saying thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you so much that you continually reveal to us what needs to be worked on. Now, Father, just as it hit me this week, I pray it would hit somebody else, that you would allow them to see yet another area of their life that needs some work on. Though it may be painful to acknowledge the past, though it may be painful to really let something go, to forgive that person who kept hurting us. You never said it would be easy, but you did say you'd never leave us, you'd never forsake us, and we'd never be abandoned like orphans. So God, we thank you for the few seconds of pain that causes the, the inevitable growth, Lord, the few seconds of pain 
that allows us to truly be healed because it's when we accept the things that have happened, we can accept what needs to be done. Lord, we accept that we've been wrong and we accept that you're right now, God. Lord, just as the serenity prayer says, Father, we're coming to you asking for the strength to do what we can to fix what we can. And we're asking for the wisdom to know the difference between what we can fix and what we can't. We can't fix sin, but you can, God. So we acknowledge you if we don't know you already to come into our lives because, yes, Jesus the Christ, your only begotten son, was sent in a body just like mine to die for me. And because he did that and because he forgave my sins, I want in. Because you said that anyone who believes in the name of the only begotten son is given the power to become sons and daughters of the Most High. Well, Lord, for those who aren't in, they want in. They need in desperately, Father. So, God, I'm asking that you would send an outpouring from heaven to bless all those who want in, God, who hear the gospel and want to become your your children, Lord. And for those who are already here, Father, I pray that you would just listen to their hearts, that you would show them what it is that they need, because all we need is more of you, Christ Jesus, that you would take the reins of our lives, that you would take the wheel, as the cliche says, Lord. But God, we need you and we need you in a mighty way. We cannot do life without you because you are life. And God, for those of us who know that and have honestly and humbly accepted it because there is no use for pride in your kingdom, then God, let us be even more childlike, trusting you in areas we never thought possible because you've never let us down, you've never failed us, and you never will. Even when we're not faithful to you, God, you're faithful. And because you love us so much, And you died for us while we were yet still your enemies. Lord, we can never repay the debt. But what we can do is give you our hearts and give you our lives and be diligent workers of the word. Because you said that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. You literally only want us to love you with all of our hearts, minds and souls and to love one another just as we love ourselves, Lord. And we can't love if we don't know you, God. But because we know you and because we experience your presence and your love and your sovereignty every single day, I ask that that you would empower us to do the same for another person, God. And if there be anyone who's hearing this right now that's sick, that may be going through something bad or that may be experiencing some low times. I ask that the windows of heaven would open up and that your blood, which covers all sins, would wash them whiter than snow, that they would be picked up, God, that they would be brushed off, that if they don't know you, that they would be created into the new creatures that you promised that we'd be once we accept you because it's all a free gift. So God, give your gifts, please, your gift of love, your gift of life, because we need you. And Lord, we love you. And because we do, we'll be sure to give your name all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory which you so rightly deserve. It's these things we thank you for. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Hey family, I pray the lesson has blessed you in some way, shape, form, or fashion today. Each week, we hold Bible study on Zoom, and it would be wonderful to share this experience with you. If something was said that resonated with you and you aren't a part of the family, I would like to open the invitation to join. I pray that the Lord blesses you in all of your endeavors and that you chase after the prize, which is Jesus. See you next week, God willing, and be blessed.